Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. At the moment, I've reached the dizzy heights of like 90 or 80th because I made some dreadful errors with my defence at the start of the season. <laughs> Tyrone Means got injured and John Stones didn't start for Pep. I think I should, do a sketch. I should do a sketch on the doll, but it's a fantasy football special. Oh, man. Right, deputies, who did you pick this week? <laughs> Count Carla, may I say that I've dropped Tyrone Mings and in Department of Finance, I'm 80th at the moment and I apologise for that. But There's nothing would... that would give me greater joy. Listen, you've probably heard loads of interviews over the years with Minister Pascal Donoghue on radio and TV, but I'm pretty sure you will not have heard one quite like this. My plan was, going into this particular interview, uh, was not to talk about all the usual topics you'd hear the Minister talk about, because you can hear him doing that every day on every other radio and television station. Um, But I wanted to get in to the person behind the politician. I wanted to get into the person behind the policies, and thankfully, Pascal was well up for having that kind of conversation. And I spent my first two years, Mario, uh, driving around the Vauxhall Cavalier, around Birmingham and East London, trying to sell truckloads of Pampers to cash and carries. I used to open up the boot of my car every morning to be greeted by the waft of Dad's washing powder and burst bottles of fairy liquid. My late mum paid you the greatest compliment because she said you're never mean. And so because of that, I have heard you do me Mm. on a few occasions. And I find it easier to listen to you doing me than I do me doing me. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of him? I've done the job and he hasn't, though. That's the big difference. Mm -hmm. The competence between an opposition and competence of actually having responsibility very, 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 very different. You're about to hear a whole different side to Pascal Donoghue in this conversation, which is coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But first, listen. Ah, uh, one of the big stories of the week. My God. Ryan Tuberty is a huge story. Off to Virgin um, UK. Congratulations to Ryan from everybody at the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Also, at the same week, misery in RTE. Salaries capped at 250 k Oh my God, we got a hold of Kevin Backhurst's, the Director General's voicemails. You've reached the voicemail of Kevin Backhurst, head of RTE. Um, Please leave a message after the bong. Kevin, 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 Joe Duffy here. Good afternoon to you. 1.44 in the afternoon. I'm just about to go on the radio. 250 grand a year. Salary cap. Kevin, Kevin, what are you doing? This is penury. I work six hours a week. 250 grand. You can't live on that. Man, can I live on bread alone? Me phone, me screen is on fire with people saying, poor Joe, poor Joe. What am I going to do? Kevin, 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 get back to me. Hi, Kevin. Miriam O'Callaghan here. I just heard the news about the pay cuts. Um, I'm just about to go out for a girl's lunch, but I'll, I'll call you later, Kevin. Bye. Hi, Kevin. Um, it's Brendan O'Connor here. Listen, I uh, heard the news there. Um, any chance you'd like to come on on the Sunday? Um, you know, I'll ask you a few hard questions in the commas. <laughs> you know yourself. Um, but um, listen, I'm all aboard when it comes to the cuts, man. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, man. Loving it, yeah. <laughs> 
on, yeah. I'm loving it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Hi, Kevin. It's Miriam Rosalyn here again. Genuinely. Listen, I, I have eight kids to feed. You heartless bastard! An exclusive comedy every week, of course, on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Exclusive sketches that you can only hear um, on this particular podcast. So, one of the things we like to do whenever I'm meeting a guest in the podcast studio is to open the mics and just start recording. I do tell them um, later that the mics were on and I get their permission. But I, I, I often do that so that we get a sense of the person off the mic and uh, as soon as they walk into studio. And when Pascal sat down, he just started chatting about football uh, and the game that had been on the night before. I think it was uh, Tottenham and Chelsea. It was really exciting. Uh, the mics were running, so let's just jump in there. On my phone, in the car, coming back from Sligo last night. Are you either, are you a fan of I'm, them? I am a Spurs. gigantic Spurs fan. Oh, okay. So Glenn Hoddle. I was actually Paul Stewart, Gary yeah. Mabus, that kind of era. Uh, Paul Steve Walsh. Archibald. Oh, no, that's, 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 that's before. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, Gary Lineker. Guy Lineker, yeah. what a nice a Gaza, uh, but. Uh, Did you ever meet Gaza? No, 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 no. no. It will make our eventual triumph all the more glorious. So. <laughs> <laughs> the damage was done last night. What? The damage was done. Well, certainly, and, and my fantasy football league team, I had Romero, I had Mickey Van Devan, yeah. and I had and I had uh, I had Madison. <laughs> all three of them gone by. Yeah. All three of them Good. gone by half time. Brilliant. This is, you've already done the beginning of our podcast. Nobody associates this with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody associates pretty much football with you. I didn't even know you were a Spurs fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, Spurs on Fantasy Football League, so yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it all. Yeah, whatever you want. Oh, we just have. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You just never know when you're on mic here, yeah. This isn't RTE, you see, where they go, oh, let's, let's just find the mics before we say, you've already, this is already half Have gone. I done the intro? I've got gold already. Oh. That's viral. You've gone viral. That's already been tweeted out. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're already massive on TikTok today. Oh, Pascal. well, look, 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 going viral on TikTok has always been one of my ambitions. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, my wife sends her best of uh, Would you give again. my best of on it? How is she? She's good. Now, we are on air. Well, not on air, but we are on the podcast, so I don't mind saying it. But you were in college, and my wife was in your, in yeah. your year. Yeah. We weren't on it, and she sends her very best regards because she had nothing good but good to say about you. <laughs> but she did say, um, she did say, I think it, I told you this. She did say, he was one of the first person, if not the first person, we ever saw uh, with a mobile phone. Yeah, I uh, got you it had this a, big brick of a yeah. Year. I got it in a society. I mean, it sounds more. It sounds very Gordon Gecko. It's more Del Boy. Yeah, uh, really, <laughs> really the parallel. But yeah, and no, I got it in it because I, I was in a society that gave me a phone because I used to organise a big breakfast every term. That's right. So I and said to her, well, was he a, was, what do you mean he had a phone? Was he a yuppie? And oh, she said, no, Jesus no, no, no. He was no, doing it to organise. No, it was Del Boy. The... I was Del Boy. It wasn't Gecko. Who <laughs> was Rodney? I was by Leo. Me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't think we want to go down the only fools and horses oh, line here now. Oh, God. Yeah. Do you know what? I was looking at only fools and horses, horses mm. there briefly there last a few weeks ago. Do you remember that stunningly funny episode where the lads are doing the sideline the chandeliers? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, Batman and Robin was quite funny as well. Batman and Robin mm. was great, and did one of course when he leaned against the bar. Well, that's a classic Pratt that, fault. That, that that is one of the best falls. One of the ever. best. One of the best yeah. comedy moments well, ever. Well, well, now that we're talking about comedy, Pascal Donahue, let's just get a few things out of the way first of all. Um, 
for our listeners now, right? I'm presuming you are aware that you are a mainstream character on on Gift Grub. Yes, I am aware, Mario, of that. And I'm going to let you into a little secret. Oh. Okay. So the little secret is I I can never listen to myself on the radio or watch myself on the telly. The 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 the, the, the real me. The real, the real me. So if the real me is on uh, your program, is on the news, heaven forbid, even on another station, I can't watch myself. And if I walk into a room and the real me is on in the background, I will leave the room. The 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 um not the real you, the, the, the fake you. Oh, no. So the real me. Oh, so if Pascal so Donahue, Pascal, the real Pascal Donahue, talk to real, Miriam, you'll... Uh, yeah, if the real Pascal Donahue and I hear him, uh, uh, I think I probably have that in common with a lot of people, like hearing my voice on the radio, yeah, seeing myself on the telly. Yeah, yeah, you can't watch yourself. Even now, I get embarrassed and leave. So if I have a if I have trouble listening to the real me, mm. you can only imagine how I respond mm. to the unreal me, mm. uh, uh, which you do so well. So mm. have I heard it on a few occasions? Mm. Yes, I have, mm. and I'm going to pay the greatest compliments I can, okay. Mario. So right. we'll get the podcast maybe off to a gentle start. Right. So um, my my lace mum who if I couldn't listen to myself or watch myself in anything, my mom did, okay? And she always paid you the greatest compliment because she said about you, you're never mean. <laughs> you're never mean. Mm. And, uh, uh, and so because of that, I have heard you do me mm. on a few occasions. Yeah. And on a few occasions, I've been late for things because you've been sent on to me uh, mm. by a few friends. Uh, and I find it easier to listen to you doing me than I do me doing me. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, two things there. One is, yes, you're right about the meanness. I try to, I, 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 at my most... I try to be pointed about something or I try to let the audience make up their own mind. Yeah. But um, I have no interest. You're not mean, though. I have no interest in ad hominem um, attacks on people or or kind of behind the scenes kind of whispering stuff about people. I have no interest in that. So what people are on the record as as doing and what they have to stand by, I'm happy to to hold them to some sort of account in a a comical way in, in that way. But... I was going to ask you. I don't know if you can say this, but I did meet you. I, I did meet you downstairs uh, a few months ago. I bumped into you, and you actually told me a story. Yeah, about about. I don't know. So if you, can, can, uh, can of you course I can. Of course I will. will this because is good. the the other participant in us <laughs> will have no problem telling yeah. the story yeah. himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so a uh, number of months ago, uh, myself, uh, uh, Minister Catherine Martin, and the Taoiseach we're launching a, a new uh, vision for the National Concert Hall, a new project as to how it will be redeveloped. And uh, we were all on our way to it. And when I was on my way to it, somebody sent me a broadcast you had just done about me making a guest appearance at the Fianna Fáil Christmas party. <laughs> yes. So I had to stop and listen to it. Mm. And I was laughing so much. We had to pull in to let me finish off the podcast and let me recover from it so I could turn up suitably composed at the event. So I turned up at the event and we were due to do it with the Taoiseach and no sign of the Taoiseach. And this is highly unusual because Micheál Martin is is many things and one of them is punctual. Mm -hmm. No sign of him. So he turns up a little later than normal 
And we say, uh, you know, how's that, Patricia? You're very welcome. How's everything going? He says, Pascal, I was late because I had to pull in and listen to that podcast <laughs> about you turning up at our party. <laughs> so both of us were late for the same reason. And it was you. So there we All go. Right. Oh well, that's very good. That's interesting. It's and it's good to know that 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 somehow, somewhat, someplace, the thing is getting out there and it's being listened to. Um, it goes that goes back to all the way. Would you believe it to Bertie Ahern? Today FM was nascent station, really, really early days, and we there was no social media or anything, um, so it would have been barely email, not much texting going on, nothing heard of a Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, even it was pre MySpace or Bebo. Oh my God, that long ago. Uh, 2000. That long ago. 1999. And I remember we start, I started with doing this impression of Bertie Ahern and I was kind of the only one doing him. And Ahern, of course, was had been Taoiseach since 97. But not only that, he represented a kind of a new style of Taoiseach, very much in a kind of Tony Blair mould, whereby politicians had previously been seen as kind of untouchable and austere and kind of away from the public. And yep. Blair and Bertie became these kind of public politicians yep. where they were glad handing people. Yep. They were walking among the people. They were seen as kind of men of the people. You'd see Blair in, 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 in Downing Street with the Gallagher brothers and you'd go, sorry, he likes music. A politician likes rock and roll. Uh, same thing happens okay. to me all the time. People see me at a gig. They go, my God, what is he doing at a gig? <laughs> yeah, I know. People see me uh, talk about football. They say, you're a football fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I'm the first person to be a football fan. Yeah. And it's a real feature. And maybe it's just a reflection on how politics stands at the moment. That many people can be surprised and, you know, pleasantly surprised. Yeah to see that behind the public face. Uh, of course, and it's important for you as well. I mean, not being too cynical about it, but it is important for politicians to, if you like, humanise themselves and, and make them, you know, to be seen as normal people as mm-hmm. much. But Bertie was kind of one of the pioneers of he that was. in this country. So he would be going on about the Bee Gees and how he loved the Bee Gees and, and Neil Diamond and all that sort of stuff. And people go, you got Bertie and Neil Diamond and the Bee Gees. But I remember that when, you know, we knew we were li- being listened to when we got a letter from the Taoiseach's office, a little harp on it going, they were requesting tapes, cassettes. <laughs> Would you send in the cassettes? <laughs> and then we heard that his driver, when he was Taoiseach, used to be listening to it in the front of the car. And every so often he'd be with the paper and you're going, could you turn that stuff off, will you? <laughs> and your man, the driver, would have to turn it off. So anyway, that was so the original. So you know you've made it, don't you, Mario, when the Taoiseach of the country is writing to you, asking you for copies now of you, you kind of imitating him. Did you ever get letters like that from Leo? Uh, Leo, no. Um, Michal? I met Leo a couple of times, once on the set with Vincent Brown. Oh, yeah. And always, know, always a bracing experience. And always a bracing Meeting experience. Leo. Being on Vincent Brown with <laughs> Vincent, with Leo. With Leo. And, it, and the thing about Leo is that Leo is always backing away from you when you're talking to him. Well, not maybe not you, but from with me anyway. So I met him at a monster game, and he was there, and I was there. How are you, Leo? And he's there. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Yeah, it's great. Nice to talk to you. And it was like as if he was backing away because he's he's shy. I think he's personally quite shy. Much, much, much. You're you're quite comfortable in your own skin. I think he's quite. Um, he's quite. Uh, he's he's just a little di- di- uh, withdrawn slightly. He's, he's a little he's shyer a little, in person. He is a more reserved reserved. Person. Then I think sometimes would expect people would expect from the public figure. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah, and I guess that goes back to the point that you were making earlier on that behind the public face uh, there's also a person, and sometimes that person can be a little different to what people may expect. True, and behind the public face of Pascal Donoghue is, of course, what we were talking about your alter ego on the radio, and so you could probably you can you can you can scotch these questions now so the character i have drawn rightly or wrongly and you can deal with this the way you want is that um you you are a canny operator 
who is possibly operating the power behind the throne. And uh, now he's smiling at me when I'm saying that to him. And uh, and, and that in, in a sense, you are pushing Leo out front and uh, and Leo is told, well, maybe not told, but is kind of lets his mouth wander and uh, shoots his mouth off. And then he has to be pulled in again, probably by Pascal. No, who is <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was hoping there was a hint of truth in what you were beginning mm. with. But there's no truth at all right. as you went on and on. Mm. No, I'm not sure. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been, uh, you know, very lucky and very privileged now to be a member of cabinet and been in government now for quite a while. And you don't get to be there for quite a while unless you're able to do your job and explain what you're doing and survive the ups and downs. But I think you're supplying a certain That's embellishment fine. to Maybe it now, Mario. But let me, let's stick to the truth then. I'll take, yeah. a, more, I'll take a more, um, I'll take a more legalistic approach. Sure. Exactly. You never put your foot in it. Uh, I, I, oh, I do. I'm sure do I do. I do. I, uh, well, I, I would. Neil look, puts in his foot in it quite a bit. No, I'd look back on uh, uh, many an interview. I will come out and think to myself, God, I could have said that better or explained it better. What I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious of is sometimes with jobs I've done uh, and are doing, the language of us is so far removed from everyday life. So let me give you an example of it. So I would spend a lot of my time talking about an expenditure ceiling. So I would ask you, how many normal people do you know that I think people would use maybe expenditure occasionally as opposed to spending? Okay, maybe they might occasionally. But you never hear anybody who you're asking for a vote for or anybody in normal life Mm. talk about an expenditure and a ceiling, let alone the two of them in the same phrase. (laughs) Okay. Um, the whole concept of fiscal space, uh, which we used to hear a lot about yeah. over many years, which is what money is available to the government left to make over. new decisions. But why didn't we just say what's left over? Mm. And I, for many, many years, uh, was certainly prone yeah. to doing that. Uh, and uh, I've lost sight of the number of interviews I've done or things I've said publicly where I took a step back and said, you know, you know, really, what did that mean? Mm. And it's something I've always kind of challenged myself on and I hope I've got a bit better over time mm. just to use language that relates to the real world that you and your listeners are in. Yeah. Well, now this interview isn't going to be an ostensibly political interview. Sure. I mean, that's really the skill and the the, 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 the space for other people to do. Yeah. And you do enough of that. I do. So I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to dig beneath the surface yeah. a little bit, into the personality a bit yeah. more. And so, for example, politics. But b- b- before politics, there was... There was you worked for Procter and Gamble, for example. Yeah, so, so I'm not a- I'm not one of these people that grew up wanting to be a politician. I I wasn't like 19 or 20 plotting a route to the top. Mm. Um, as you said, when I finished up in 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 college, I went to work for Procter and Gamble. And um, Procter and Gamble is a a really big consumer goods company. So it sells Adas, Pampers, Pantene. It's a huge American company. And I spent my first two years, Mario, uh, driving around the Vauxhall Cavalier around Birmingham and East London. First two years of my working life, trying to sell truckloads of Pampers to cash and carries. (laughs) I used to open up the boot of my car every morning to be greeted by the waft of Dad's washing powder and burst bottles of fairy liquid. And I spent the first couple of my years of uh, my working life doing that. First time I ever drove on my own was around the M25 in London. Um, and I had a really happy life doing that for nearly a decade. And at the end of that, then I decided I want to try and become a politician. Uh, but 
that was a really great thing to do and maybe I'll do it again at some point in the future. It was great. Pascal's Pampers. Well, not Pascal's Pampers now, but I was certainly developed the gift of what you need to do uh, to walk into a, a, a cash and carry in Birmingham and be able to explain to the owner of that cash and carry why they should buy half a truck of Pampers off mm. me. And it was a great experience. That they had enough fiscal space and, and I'd ask and them about their expenditure ceiling and then and then before I know where I am, yeah. I'd have an order for half a truck of pampers. Yeah. And uh, I really attribute that. That was a great uh, and really enjoyable experience in life because of course I did all that in England. Yes. I moved over to England in the late, in the mid-1990s and lived over there for uh, just over six years. Okay, interesting. I'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah. Now, one of the things about your alter ego as well, which I'm trying to relate this to your normal um, persona, is that everybody knows you as, and I think it would be fair to say everybody knows you as mild-mannered, and I don't mean that's not a pejorative way of looking at you, Um competent you're one of the few politicians that actually does answer the question they're asked I do my best to do that and, I, I do. and, and it's conscious I know it's I almost do, yeah. performative because yeah, you yeah, go yeah. you've probably spent half of your life listening to other politicians we won't name their names of all parties not answering questions and mm. it's probably irritated you a lot and you said one of the things I'm going to try and do is trying to at least answer the question um, thoroughly however um, I kind of wonder is the it, underneath this this calm temperament? Is there a, a firier person? Is there a person? Well, well, there clearly there would have to be a person of steel. But is there a person um, uh, with a temper? So, in other words, do you see, have you do can you or do you lose your temper? And if so, what does that manifest? Itself I, as? I I very very rarely lose my temper, uh, uh, but it is the case uh, that uh, I would be kind of mild mannered and composed, but also clear about what I'm trying to do when I'm working in government or working with other governments as well. And I do do that, but I would rarely lose my temper. And if I ever were to do that, which would be the rarest of things, uh, it would be something I would regret doing Mm. afterwards. The but character on Gift Grub that loses his temper, the Pascal that loses his temper, and um, he turn, he has an alter ego that turns him into I know. B- Ballymun Pascal. I know all about him. Oh, yes. I know all about him. I've heard all about him. I've even heard him on occasions. Mm. And uh, he has been a source of great joy and mm. mirth to me. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, uh, when I'm engaged in difficult situations, when I'm working with colleagues, like for example, when you're putting together a budget, you know, putting together a budget is hard. Putting together a budget involves an awful lot of negotiation with lots of different people. Uh, And, you know, you have to use the full range of uh, tools and and, and talents that are available to you to try and get it done. Mm. And that's what I do. What makes you angry? What makes me angry? Uh, Lack of kindness. Uh, What makes me angry is if I see somebody being unkind what makes me angry is if I see somebody using their position to treat somebody with a lack of respect. What makes me angry is if I see somebody who believes they're superior to somebody who's vulnerable. That makes me very angry and uh, I don't stand for us in my company. Hmm. Well, that's powerfully spoken, yeah. Do you, I mean, I talked about Ballymun Pascal there and actually we had a little problem with Ballymun Pascal at the beginning because um, I didn't really 
we, 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 talked, we talk about these things before we do them. I don't just fly off the handle and write a sketch and then do them. We do talk about things. We talk about how we're going to pitch things and tone <laughs> things. And we talked about the concept of Ballymun Pascal. And we went, mm, Ballymun Pascal, what's that? What, what do you mean? And I sort of said, well, it's Pascal when he gets angry. We imagine Pascal when he gets angry, that there's a steely side to him and that he can get tough. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean tough? Um, we were questioning ourselves. So we said, but Ballymun, so, Ballymun, what do you mean? Ballymun is tough? Ballymun is what? So we did have a little problem with that. Now, the public response to the sketches has been very positive. So Yeah, a lot of people bring it up with me. I yeah, so in say. other words, I suppose to use an expression, I've got away with it. But my question to you is, were you brought were you brought up near or in Ballymun? And no, so I was no. brought up in Blanchettstown. Okay. Uh, so I'm uh, from uh, uh, Blanchettstown uh, and uh, they really really amazing thing about us is Leo and I grew up around the corner from each other and we only actually met each other uh, a lot later in life. Uh, so we both of us went to different primary schools uh, and uh, uh, but we were literally a few minute walk away from few minutes uh, walk away from each other. Oh. But I grew up in Blanchettstown and uh, uh, live in Fibsborough now uh, uh, which I have now for many many years uh, went to my primary school in Blanchettstown and then went to a brilliant secondary school called St. Declan's there in the Neffin Road in Cabra. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Ballymun would be part of your constituency. No, Ballymun's no, just no. adjacent to my constituency. Okay. It's right beside us. Yeah. Uh, so it's literally one constituency up from me. Yeah. Uh, uh, and But, you know, it goes back to what I said about you and my mum earlier on and if anybody is joining this podcast when in the middle of this they probably need to rewind yeah. uh, just so they can uh, listen to the context of what we were saying earlier on I do think even when you were talking about that and doing that gig about me about ban- being Ballymun Pascal uh, you're not mean mm. like I don't think anybody who that's well, cartoonish yeah I don't think anybody uh, who uh, would listen to that thinks you're being no. mean either about me or Ballymun. No, it's cartoonish. It's yeah. put on a different plane. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're being comic, but you're not mocking. Uh, no, 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 not at all. No, no, yeah. it's never, there's never that. Yeah. There is and never I, I think that. that's a really, really valuable quality, if you don't mind me saying so, because you were asking me earlier on about, you know, what makes me angry. And I talked about the lack of kindness and lack of respect, if you come across that. I yeah. think one of the things we're all grappling with at the moment is kind of lack of empathy sometimes, lack of solidarity uh, that we can feel for each other and that is developing in different parts of the world. Mm. And I think anything that minimises mm. that stock of empathy that we have with each other, anything that avoids minimising that is a good and decent thing at the moment. You love books. Yep. You love all types of books. I do. Fiction. Yep. You love biography. You love history. You love all types of books. Yeah. You also love music. I do. All right. Now, this would indicate to me, you talked about empathy a minute ago, a person with an artistic bent and artistic bents always communicate to me a person who has potential, potentially closer uh, emotional mm. uh, intelligence um, than, than, than somebody who, who, who isn't into that stuff. So you are involved in politics as well. It's a tough game. You get a lot of abuse you hear a lot of abuse from the opposition. You, your, your own party, throw a lot of abuse at the opposition. Um, you get a lot of abuse from the public, rightly or wrongly. You know, that's not really what I'm, I'm getting at. I'm saying why, I suppose what I'm saying is for a person who is who loves arts and stuff, why did you get into politics? Especially since it seems as if your career was going quite well in, in the corporate world. 
like what made was there was it a gradual shift in your life or was there a tipping point? So it was a gradual shift in my life and there's two qualities in politics that led me wanting to get into it. Uh, the first one is uh, I wanted to make a difference and I still do. It's what, wait, it's what gets me up very early every morning. It's what keeps me work until late every night. I genuinely want to make a difference. Uh, I like to think I've played a small role in things that have gone well within our country in recent years. Uh, uh, but I also take responsibility for things that haven't. And that really motivates me and pushes me to keep going. And then the other quality of politics that uh, I adore is it can be great fun at times. And then for those many moments in which it's not fun, it's incredibly testing and demanding. And I like that in a job. I really like that. I really like the fact that each day... I put in long hours each day. I have to make decisions and trying to get as many of them right as I can. Each day I go to bed at night thinking that was a long and demanding day. And there's something within me that's deeply attracted to that. So they're the two qualities that gradually led me to, to do it. And when I was living in England and when I was thinking about coming back home in Ireland, I just felt that kind of interest beginning to grow and then I gave it a lash when I got back home. So politics hasn't been, the world of politics, the life of politics hasn't been a disappointment to you? Far from us. So I've been thinking a lot about this recently because even when you said that to me there about talking about politics in terms of the abuse, um, I don't want to be a politician all my life. I've never said I'll be a politician all my life. And there'll come a point in which the people will say either they don't want me to be a politician anymore or I'll decide I won't be a politician anymore. But honestly, honest to God, Mario, if either of my kids came to me and said, I, I've decided I want to be a politician, I'd be delighted. I'd encourage them to do it. Uh, Any time I meet anybody who is interested in politics, uh, even if they completely disagree with me and even if they have views that I would disagree with, I say to them, get into politics, give it a go. Because having done it now over many, many years, uh, it is very rewarding and testing. And for every bit of abuse you get, uh, uh, it, that is more than outweighed by the fundamental decency of the vast majority of people who I engage with, uh, including the many who disagree with me, uh, and the kindness of people and the kindness of people at election time. Hmm. And I say this as somebody who's had lots of ups and downs along the way. Yes. Uh, um, but I... Uh, as I said, for any of your listeners out there who would ever think about a life in politics, no matter what their age or background, I'd say to go for it. Yeah. And what about if, for example, we look at a situation that the, the political landscape changes in the next uh, in the next couple of years? Yeah. And let's say that Pascal Donoghue is um, on the on the, the, the opposition in the yep. opposition and and therefore kind of, you know, one of the 185 TDs or sure. whatever it is there. Would you see yourself continuing? Yes, I would. Uh, and um, uh, for as far as I can see into yeah, the, future, the future now, I want to keep up being a politician. Yeah. I'm equally honest in saying I don't think it'll ever happen indefinitely. I think they will get a point yeah. uh, where I'll do something different. But the answer to your question is yes. Yeah. Uh, when I started off in politics, 
for many, many years uh, when I began, I was in the Senate uh, when our party was in opposition. And then for a few years, even though our party was in government, Mm. I was a government backbencher Mm. uh, with lots of other colleagues who I knew well, who were ministers or about to become ministers. Mm. And uh, if we were to end up in that position, then you value other things in politics apart from being a minister. And there's other things in politics then that you would try to do well. On the other side of things, um, if if somebody said to you, um, you are the man that will have to lead us now in this in this next chapter. Is that something that you'd see yourself um, considering, thinking about, or or do you see yourself as definitely not that person? Yeah. So it 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 never works in politics that people come to you and say to you. They all say that they come to you, though. They, yeah, they all may say it, but it's, <laughs> believe me, it, I've been it, receiving it, so many letters over yeah. the last few days that I have yeah. no other option but Indeed. to offer myself up as leader of the party. It's just my friends and colleagues have come to me. Yes, they may say mm. it. It happens very rarely, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I, uh, I have said over a number of years now that I don't see myself ever being leader of Fine Gael. I don't see myself being uh, Taoiseach. It's not something that is an ambition of mine at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask you why not? And, why not? And, and, sure. And, and, and wh- why not? So I've worked for three of them now. I worked for Enda Kenny. I worked for Micheál Martin and I continue to work for Leo Varadkar. And uh, I have seen at first hand more so than lots just how demanding and difficult a job it is to get and to do. And uh, I've been with those three uh, men in their roles as Taoiseach during some really, really tough and demanding moments. And I see what's involved in doing it. And uh, the ambition that I had and have is to get to the level that I'm at at the moment. And I always strongly felt uh, that uh, I put my energy and ambition into getting to this point. And then I'd see, does the thirst exist to go beyond that? And it doesn't. Mm. Uh, this is what I want to do, being a minister. Has your favourite position been Minister for Finance or Minister for Public Expenditure, either one of those? Has that been your favourite uh, iteration of yourself? Uh, in if <laughs> my favourite iteration of myself. That's, uh, that, might be a bit, gift grub. that might be a bit too much. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly the job that I had hoped to do. Can't believe I've done it. Still able to do it. And then also to do the work that I do within Europe mm. is a really big That's deal for thing. me. What, how often do you go over there? Uh, I would, well, in terms of travelling to other countries, because obviously we're in Europe, but in terms of travelling to other countries, uh, every second week I'm on the yeah. road. Uh, so I've gone to Brussels tomorrow morning. And you uh, chair a, co- a council, don't you? Yep. So we have the, there's a group called the Eurogroup, mm-hmm. uh, which is the group of the finance ministers that are all inside the Euro. And I'm responsible for the way we meet and the group uh, that uh, of those ministers. Mm. So I get elected by the ministers mm. and I've been doing it now since uh, 2020. And that is something I'm really proud to do and very proud that Ireland has that post. Yeah. And that's a hugely political world as well. It is. Um, again, another potential place that may, for example, make offers to a successful chairperson of the European group. Was that something, if somebody said to you, would you like to spend more time in Europe in the future? Is that something you might consider? Uh, So if you look at the different opportunities for that, you know, the commission, uh, uh, the job I'm doing is a a big role within the European Union. 
so I, I, I don't see any other offers coming my way. Uh, and because of that, I also think I'm probably at the pinnacle of uh, my the roles that I can do within Europe. So in truth, what I want to try and do is that role for as long as I can. Uh, and I don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about the grass being greener on the other side or what could be beyond that. Because politics is just too uncertain a game, Mario, yeah. to try to be thinking about what if or what might happen yeah. or who could come How to many me. hours do you work a day? I would... Or a week. Normally uh, start work just after eight in the morning. Yeah. And I normally finish up around 11 at night. Wow. Uh, six days a week? No, I would do that around, uh, I do that uh, five days a week, trying to finish up a little bit earlier on a Friday. And then on a Saturday, I'm really careful about my weekends. I'll do mm. one political Family. thing. Yeah, I'll do one political kids, thing. Two. Two kids. So I do, I'll do one political thing at the weekend, yeah. media, something in my constituency. Uh, but at the weekend, I, I have found that if you work all the weekend, you just begin your Monday morning wrecked. Yeah. Uh, so and I, you try to wind it down a little earlier on Friday. I definitely do. Uh, many of us out, you know, many of us in, in, in have a little routine on Friday. You might be a bottle of red wine and an Indian takeaway or something. What's 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 do you have a, any? Uh, so uh, I remember speaking to somebody an awful lot wiser than me about all of this kind of stuff. And he talked to me about the importance of having moments of uh, transition in your working day, that if you're going 100 miles an hour, and then you try to go right down to zero that you can't do either well and you end up trying to relax, but not really being relaxed. And the early part of my Friday evening is a really, really big part of doing that. So th- the first thing I do is uh, the minute I get home, I, can't, I, I never wear my, my suit. I get my suit off. I wear my suit all the time when I'm doing my work. I have a tie on all the time. The really big thing for me when I go in is put on my jacks, my 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 joggy bees, my tracksuit, shorts or whatever. That's number one. And then number two, a bottle, a glass of wine on a Friday night is something I really look forward to. Um, and then watching a bit of telly, Graham Norton, whatever. That's just so important then for getting set up then for the weekend. Yeah. So just a little bit of a wind down. Yeah. Right. And what else do you do to relax? I mean, I know you, I can't understand and I've talked to people about this before. How you get all this done? You read a phenomenal amount of books. I mean, Matt Cooper, you're on, you go on Matt Cooper's show, having reviewed all these books for him. Yeah, and he, I'm, I do this show with Matt. I mean, Matt is a forensically talented uh, interviewer, <laughs> as is. you well know, and, and also a polymath. And the one interview I look forward to in the year, yeah, is when Matt has me on his show to talk about books with, with Lise. Lise Hand. Yeah, she's a great journalist as well. Amazing. Mm. And I uh, I read a huge amount. I always have two or three books on the go. Yeah. What, read, what are you reading at the moment? So what I'm reading at the moment is I'm reading an Australian thriller. There's a whole genre of thrillers at the moment called Outback Noir. Yeah, like Scandi read, Noir. Scandi yeah. Noir, exactly, set in Australia. <laughs> so I'm reading a book there by a great crime novelist called Chris Hammer, uh, which is really good. Yeah. And then uh, I've just finished off a book on the history of Eastern Europe. And then I am reading a book called Reconomics uh, at the same time. Good name, actually. Good name. Uh, So they'd be the three things I'm reading at the moment. And then I'm about to, once I finish off that novel, I never have more than one novel on the go. I'm going to go and read uh, Bernard McLaverty. Uh, He has a beautiful novel uh, called Lamb. Uh, that he wrote in the early 80s that oh, I'm going to go and film. read. Yeah, with, he had with, two, with Liam Neeson. That is like two very short Priest. novels called Lamb and Cal. Yeah. 
yes. uh, that were and the that making of Jordan. him. Um, or no, no, it wasn't Neil Jordan. It was um, well, could, Cal was was made into a great film as well, isn't that right? Ed? I, I think so. Bo- yeah. Both of them were yeah. films. Now, actually, well, Lamb I was a film star, one of Liam Neeson's breakthrough films yeah. with Hugh. So I I've always really admired him as a writer, and his short stories are just so beautiful. And I was reading a lot of them during the summer, and I'm I'm really lo- looking forward to reading that now. Going back and rereading that book. When do you read? I read it very so I. Whenever I get on a plane, I always have many books with me. Every night, I always have a book with me. I always leave when I get into bed. And I'm really resistant to my phone being near me a lot of the time. And while that means I can be slow returning phone calls, it means I get a lot more reading done. Right, right. So a bit of reading. And I know you love music. I do, yeah. So uh, LCD sound system was... uh, uh, yeah, I went to, myself and Leo went to the LCD sound system many years ago. That didn't turn out well. Uh, Why, because of the press? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of uncomfortable being at a, a gig and uh, yeah. that becoming a new story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I am um, uh, enjoying the new Rolling Stones album at the moment, oh, yeah? which is pretty Di- good. Hackney Diamonds. Hackney Diamonds. I think it's very pretty. Have you heard of it? It's brilliant. Is it? I think it's really no, good. Yeah, it's yeah. A, well, well, well worth a listen to. Yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, Amazing, uh, he's over 80. They're incredible. Aren't Did you they? hear the new Beatles one? I heard it for the first time there over the weekend, okay. and I found it a little ghostly. I have to say, mm. unsurprisingly, I'm a big Beatles fan. Yeah, what's right. your favourite album? Um, probably Abbey Road. Abbey Road. I was going to say the best of the Beatles. <laughs> Partridge. I would be a I would be a White Album man. Yeah, I can still remember the first time I saw the White Album in vinyl. Yeah. And you know the way that it used to yeah. be and still is then? There's no mention of the band or the name of the album anywhere on it. Yes. It's just this yeah. shimmering yeah. white. And I can still remember the first time I listened to that and that would still be my, my favourite ar- album. If you listen to it now and then, the song, my own opinion anyway, right? If you listen to it uh, over a period of three days, maybe 12, 15 times, the magic is there. Really? It's well, unbelievable. Get back to it. The magic to it. is there. And who would be your favourite Beatle? Oh, this is crazy. Yeah. So this is this goes through the whole gamut. I mean, this yeah. this is one of those pub games that people play and, and it con- you kind of identify your own personality. I'll give you the answer, right? And the answer has changed. Ah. And here it, it has was. has a little bit with me as well, actually. All my life, yep. I was a McCartney man. Yep. Scrambled eggs. When he wrote yesterday and he called it scrambled eggs on the top of the bus to make up the words and mm-hmm. all this. And you, you, you hear like the melody of McCartney and the joy and the hope Mm-hmm. And the sort of playfulness mm-hmm. and the kind of Mozartian. Mm-hmm. He was a little Mozart, yep. uh, with his melody and 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 then I always thought Lennon was was a little more cynical and yep. dour. And then lo and behold, he's creeping up on me. The really, last ten years. Ah, uh, Lennon is. It's like two horses, and one horse keeps gaining yeah, on the other horse. Yeah, and Lennon's coming up on the outside. Really, and, and now I am nuts about all the stuff that Lennon did, not with the Beatles, but in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Imagine and everything. And all this and the Double Fantasy album and just imagine and all that. Yeah. But even doing his Jealous Guy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing um, stuff. Oh, Jesus. I find that a little arid still. Oh, boy. That music. Maybe it's something, Pascal, maybe it's something you nearly need to grow older. So it's funny because need to grow older and just feel. For lots of my time listening to the Beatles, I was actually a George Harrison man. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something I always found kind of really mystical about yeah. Harrison, yeah. and he provided a bit of the edge yeah. uh, for me in listening yeah. to them. 
that I really enjoyed. Yeah. But actually, as the years have gone on with me, it's McCartney that yeah. I love more and more. Yeah. And I use that word deliberately love because there is a simplicity and a hope to his music. Yeah. And even his recent solo albums, they're magnificent. They're absolutely wonderful. Mm. Uh, and um, did you see the James Corden uh, thing that Paul McCartney did? No. So he did this amazing thing. You know where James Corden drives around with a yeah, singer they, and they, they drive around. Karaoke, yeah. Karaoke and all that kind of thing around the glitzy streets of LA. Mm. Well, he did it with Paul McCartney driving around Liverpool. And it is so moving watching mm. them watching them go around and Paul McCartney talking about different places in the city and what it meant to him. But there's this amazing scene at the end of it where they go back to one of the pubs that they debuted in. You know that time when they were playing in Liverpool and Hamburg? Yeah. And they basically go behind the um, the kind of curtains in the pub and on the other side of the curtains there's people who are calling in to have a pint uh, while they're doing their tour of the Beatles. And the curtains come back and Paul McCartney stands out to perform to all these unassuming tourists. Mm. And it's magic. Mm. And it's, I think Paul McCartney brings these moments to us more and more. He does. One of the other things about him is the the dignity and integrity with which he's carried not only the name McCartney, but the memory of John and the Beatles. And the responsibility as well. The responsibility. Yeah. Uh, the huge, almost political responsibility. Yeah. But the, the, the way he's carried it with such dignity and humour yeah. and crucially, lack of self-importance. Yeah. He's so unself-important. Yeah. He's so just feckin' normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's so ordinary. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, this is something I'm fascinated with. The idea of genius is 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 endlessly fascinating. Uh, a much a, a talent that's a, a phrase that's much overused. Yeah. And so when we counter it, we have to recognise it, and he has it. He has it, but it's also it's also it's also misunderstood. Geniuses. I mean, people used to idea of uh, of ah, Georgie Best. You know what a genius. No wonder he was an alcoholic. <laughs> and and this kind of conflation between flaw and genius. And then you see somebody like McCartney. Yeah. Who's the antithesis of that? He's just n- ordinary and normal. He's blessed with genius. Another because yeah. I'm mad- massively into tennis would be somebody that like Roger Federer, mm-hmm. oh, a completely n- normal person, mm-hmm. ridiculously normal, except for this God-given Gift. beauty. Yeah, and and that can be with people, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just lovely when people have it, and you don't have to be an asshole about it, and you don't have to be flawed or destructive or horrible or a wife beater or an alcoholic or a drug addict necessarily. Yeah, I mean, genius can lead to its own difficulties, yep. but other some people can deal with them. And and these moments of joy that we get, whether it's through sport, whether it's through culture, uh, these moments of joy that bring people together are so important at the moment, uh, like. Uh, uh, somebody asked me recently that if I was some kind of a benign dictator, mm. uh, uh, <laughs> what would I ch- what would I do instantly? And I said, what I would do instantly is build even more libraries. And uh, I, I said that I am really proud of the fact that we live in a country in which we're opening more libraries and building more libraries every year. Thank God we live in a country in which nobody takes books off the shelves of libraries. But uh, last week, I was driving by uh, the, the um, Dublin City Council Library there in Capra Cross, and it was an awful night. It was uh, kind of a, a lashing rain. It was late evening, and I looked in the window of the of the library, and I could see 
teenagers studying and elderly people in reading newspapers and sitting together. And I just thought this is a fundamentally good thing. We can never have enough of that. And it goes back to something you and I have touched a lot on in our interview now, empathy, bringing people together, whether it be kind of communally together in a place like that or what sport and art can bring. Like how many fights ever break out at gigs? Actually, quite a few now that I think about it. Well, how many fights break out at libraries? Uh, very few. <laughs> That's the story then, isn't it? Uh, That's my Dostoevsky! <laughs> <laughs> it's not something you hear echoing through many libraries in Fibsborough or Cabra or indeed anywhere else no. I think of it. Can I just ju- jump something random? And I know you're up for this because you are up for it. But it, it, it's, you mentioned empathy, kindness, libraries and books during the interview. Yeah. And the other person that that reminds me of is Ryan Tuberty. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what you think of Ryan Tuberty, if you have any opinions on him. And if so, what do you think about what, what, what became of Ryan Tuberty? So I have a huge admiration for a lot of the things Ryan Tuberty did as a broadcaster. So I remember as a politician, uh, the first time, the moment I decided to talk about books was when Donald Trump became president of the United States of America. Because I suddenly felt there was a whole moment and movement building in which talking about books and things like that suddenly became really, really important. And what I loved about what Ryan did is he brought high culture and reading, made it an everyday occurrence, made it something we should talk about and celebrate. Uh, And I think also as an interviewer, uh, he managed to find... uh, kind of the spark in the ordinary and do that really well. And when I saw what unfolded, I uh, won't get into the politics of any of it because that's not that kind of interview. But I certainly have a, a sense of um, sympathy for anybody who gets caught up in the middle of those public moments that go on and on and on and you're in the public eye in a critical way for quite a while. Uh, That is really tough. It's demanding. It's happened to me. It's the price you pay for being a public figure. But when it happens to you, it can be really, really demanding. And on a human level, I certainly felt that for him as things were unfolding. So it's fair to say you feel some humour or some sympathy for him? Of course I do. And I feel it for anybody who gets caught up in, in testing moments. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. And as a feature of that, uh, uh, if you're in the public eye, you can sometimes be involved in, 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 in issues and controversies that can run on and on and can dominate things for a while. How this started, actually, this podcast started was you going on about watching Tottenham and, and Chelsea the night before. And I, I didn't even know that you were uh, a Spurs fan. Oh, my God. And I said, foolishly, I said, Glenn Hoddle, and you went, well, no, I'm a bit after Glenn <laughs> A bit Hoddle. younger than that. And, and, bit, and I was giving younger. away my age there, so a couple of years <laughs> older. Only a little younger, yeah, yeah, only a yeah, little. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a really big part of my, of my weekend, actually. I'm a big, big long. And were you a big Pochettino fan then? I was, yeah. actually. Uh, but I also thought... Uh, the club and Potch had both got to the point that a parting of the ways was inevitable. But what we, we, we parted our ways into the desert uh, for a number of years now and we're now trying to get out of us again under one of the finest human beings that, that exists on the planet, which is uh, our new manager, Gus Postacoglu, who is <laughs> just 
just a remarkable man. Yeah, he's bringing something different, isn't he? He's he's bringing something of the human humanity he to the sure game. He sure is. Yeah. Even how uh, to... Last night was this unbelievable game. So we had two players sent off. Uh, even though we had two players sent off, we still tried to win the game and we ended up losing 4-1 uh, with the last couple of goals going in at the last minute after Son just missed an opportunity to uh, to get us back into the game. Unbelievable game. Yeah. And you, may, some of your listeners may be aware about this big controversy that's going on about VAR at the moment, about the electronic refereeing and all the rest of us. And honestly, VAR went back in time so much last night. At one point, the show was nearly like that Doctor Who. <laughs> we were going all the way back to what happened, what happened, what happened. 21 minutes of oh extra time. Oh, my God. And then good, the, our, our manager came out then and said, at some point, we're just going to have to accept what the referee says. Uh, which, of course, is the tailor, uh, the exact opposite to what everybody else is saying at the moment. Yeah. And uh, it was another reminder to me of how lucky we are to have him. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, a really enjoyable part of the week for me. I have the games marked in my diary, Mario, mm. regarding when they're on. And you you, you, you do uh, fantasy football? I do. I love fantasy so you, football. Wow, how does, I've forgotten how to do it. I did it years ago when it first came out. So you pick a team. Yeah, you get £100 million to spend. You pick a team. <laughs> So the Minister for Finance. £100 million. Pound. Yeah, not a money. What's your expenditure ceiling, is it? Uh, you have expended... Well, it's not a proper expenditure ceiling. No fiscal cha- space. Because it changes. No <laughs> fiscal space. Expenditure ceilings yeah. aren't meant to change. Yeah, who's you playing up front for you at the moment? Uh, oh, I'm very boring. Uh, so I have Haaland up front. Yeah. Uh, I have Nakata, the Arsenal player, yeah. up front. And then I have Wissa. Uh, the uh, Brentford forward. Who's your goalie? Uh, my goalie uh, uh, now for some time was Nick Pope. Yeah. And I dropped Pope over the weekend and brought in Leno, the Fulham goalkeeper, because I thought Fulham would have a better chance of a clean sheet against Man yeah. United than Arsenal would yeah. against Newcastle. So it's like a hobby. Big hobby. And, and, and then, how are you doing in, in the... In oh, the, it's the worst start. Yeah. Worst, worst start yeah. I've ever had. Now, Leo had. would have no interest in this. No, so we have a big, big, big uh, fantasy football league in the, in the Department of Finance and the oh. Department of Public Expenditure. And last year, for a few weeks, I was actually first in it. Yeah. And then I dropped down to number five or six and, and won. Yeah. And came in at five or six at the very end, which isn't bad. At the moment, I've reached the dizzy heights of like 90 or 80th. Okay. Because I made... And does some, Michael McGrath play? No. No, no, I made some, oh, but he's a huge Man United fan. Right. But I made some dreadful errors with my defence at the start of the season. <laughs> Tyrone Means got injured and John Stones didn't start for Pep. I think I should, do a sketch. I should do a sketch on the doll, but it's a fantasy football special. Oh, man. Right, deputies, who did you pick this week? <laughs> Count Carla, may I say that I've dropped Tyrone Mings and in Department of Finance, I'm 80th at the moment and I apologise for that. But There's nothing would... that would give me greater joy than to talk about that at right. this length. Oh, God, I would, it would have been great if Michael Noonan and all those fellas had played fantasy football. No, Michael Noonan wouldn't, but he's a great sportsman. He is, I've met Great him. man. I met him down in Tom and Power. Yeah. I remember he beckoned me over. <laughs> With his sausage-like finger. And he went, why don't you ever do me? <laughs> You're always doing your man party. I heard on the radio. Why don't you do me? Michael Noonan isn't that quiet. He's not that quiet. Michael Noonan got quiet. Oh, do you think so? Well, he, he Not in my lo- company. No, no, no. He was very loud when we had Billons and Billons and Billons. <laughs> and then he got quieter when we only had Millons and Millons. And millions. Oh, OK. So okay. the less money we had yeah. during the austerity. The quieter he got. The quieter he but got. Always calm. Until we only always had a few, calm. Until we only had a few thousand left. Yeah. That's why it's disappeared. <laughs> out. And then he went back in reverse. Yeah. He did, yeah. And then Joan Burton used to tell me, you can't do me at all. 
You're not able to do me. Can I just say, you can't do me. You're very good at Willie O'D. <laughs> and then Willie O'D said, you can't do me at all. You're very good at Michael Noonan, though, I tell you. Oh. You can't do me. Do you do impressions yourself at all? None. 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 Do you do my, and my God, do you if, my God, if I did do impressions, would I say to you that I do? <laughs> Do I mean, sing? really? Do you sing it all? No. Karaoke? No, 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 no. There's enough horror in the world without <laughs> me standing in front of a glitter ball. Do you I... like ABBA? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be a huge ABBA fan. Yeah, I would be. Yeah. I well, ABBA. You would be? Mm, yeah. Love no, not no, here. Love Melody. Have you seen them in the, the holograms? In no, London? I'm yes. going to go. I hear it's great. Heard it's I hear it's yeah, very, yeah. very good. What no. do you think of that, the hologram business? God. So, I'm torn about it. I mean, can you imagine, let's say in 50 years time, when you're maybe still going strong, but not the active figure that you are. Can you imagine if you existed as a hologram <laughs> and people going to Vicar Street or the Olympia yeah. to see you exist as a hologram? Oh my God. I find that a little ghoulish. Yeah. Wow. A little can old imagine, pussy. Imagine in 50 years time if we're there in the doll and they're there and they're there. Well, deputies, let's bring back the Pascal Donohue hologram <laughs> and see what he thinks. Well, Kian Carla, this proves Ty- Tyrone Mings is still uh, not scoring. <laughs> still and, injured. Uh, mm? This proves my point. Is there not something, a touch unnatural about us? Yeah. Can you imagine if somebody pressed a button yeah. and suddenly they'd marry a rose and stock on their lap? Yeah. Oh man, would it be a little uh, unusual? I don't know, it depends on who I'm in. In the company of. (laughs) It depends on whose lap I'm in. Can I ask you a couple of, I'm going to ask you, because it's not, this is mainly about you, but it's also, there's some politics involved. I'd just like to, this is a complex question. It's hard to ask, ask, and it's probably, try to answer it as best you can. Um, they say that when you're young, if you're not a liberal, you, you've no heart. And when yeah. you're older and you're not a conservative, you've no brain. Yeah. And you're getting older. And you've passed through, uh, yeah. you know, some of your life so far. Do you honestly believe that the model you're attempting to uphold in society is working? Now, maybe if listeners don't understand what I'm saying because I'm being a bit oblique. I'm, I'm mainly talking about the model whereby it's the status quo, really, Pascal. You want to maintain law and order. You want to maintain the world largely as it is. Mm. Do you think that's still the right world? Or do you think, I mean, because you're a really well-read person. Mm-hmm. And if I said to you a name, for example, you'd, I would guarantee you'd know who I'm talking about. Rutger Bregman. Yeah, I know, yeah. Optimism. Okay. Great book about optimism. Yeah. yeah. And so what so, do you yeah. think? Do you ever have second thoughts? Do you ever go, I'm not sure that the thing we are defending here is entirely right. And what I mean by that is the free market, sure. neoliberal economics, capitalism, the right for somebody to go, I'm sorry about that. You don't have as much money as I, so what I will do is I will use all my power to crush you and to get lawyers so that you never breathe again and you'll never get me. And by the way, I'm buying the five houses down the road from you and to the left of you. Do you know why? Because the law of the land says I can and Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, will stand by me and say, the law is on his side. In other words, the thing you said earlier on about empathy, yeah. kindness and sympathy. Sometimes the world that you're defending, the status quo that you're defending, is such a bullying world we live in, where money wins, power wins, and in effect, you are in defence of that. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I do understand exactly what you mean, and uh, I am acutely aware that the biggest vulnerability that a politician like me faces is that in trying to defend the political centre, 
uh, that I'm accused of defending the status quo, which is in essence the charge you very eloquently laid out there. And uh, what I would say back to that is the following. Okay, so if you look at the model that our country has at the moment, uh, the model of being pro-European, the model of thinking that economic growth uh, can be good for a democracy and good for a society, uh, the model of saying that we should be open uh, to the movement of money in and out of our country, the movement of goods in and out of our country, uh, that is a model that's been increasingly contested. Uh, But I don't believe in neoliberalism. Uh, So by neoliberalism, you mean you idealise all those things to the point that you begin to think there's not a need for government. And I don't believe that. I believe we need to have strong and stable states. So why I think the model still works is I'm so proud of the fact that this is a country in which life expectancy has gone up. I'm so proud of the fact that this is a country that if you're a uh, born into it, your chance of avoiding extreme poverty, your chance of being able to get a really good education year by year gets better and better. I'm really proud of the fact that this is a country that the living standards that you and I have are better than the living standards that our peers would have had a number of decades ago. What uh, we uh, That, however, still doesn't mean uh, that we don't need to do far better. And housing is the best example of that, of where we need to do far better. But to really deal with the the kind of really good point that you made there regarding a very rich person and how they would deal with the rule of law. But that's the same rule of law that ensures that if somebody goes into court, they're entitled to free legal aid. It's the same rule of law that means that if you're very powerful or very poor, you're the same in the eyes of the judge. And I think that is a model worth making the case for. And I think it's a model that if we didn't have, we'd be poor and less equal and less inclusive. Okay. I Where I think there's a more powerful critique, if I may say so, is the existential challenge of climate change. How we reconcile the functioning of an economy with the need to consume less and consume very different things. And to transition. Yeah. Like I think that is a very, very big challenge that we all have to rise to and that I think an awful lot about. But, you know, you were saying to me earlier on and you used the word about me being certain about something. Like I'd be very aware of politicians at the moment that offer you certainty about anything. And I I would offer you my convictions. But in making the case for something being good, I'd also be a pains to acknowledge where we need to do better as well. Mm. Certainty and simple claims at the moment are dangerous things. I certainly, I, I certainly agree from the point of view of um, uh, Boris and Trump, anyway, and and the the, the right wing populists in 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 Europe, definitely. Yeah. Um, just to just to back that up slightly, that that other point, it was I was talking to somebody this morning, and we were reflecting back on the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. And how the extraordinary sight of so many Irish people over the Rugby World Cup. Mm-hmm. At one stage, there may have been fifty thousand Irish people in one of the stadiums. And you're going, the conversation was that I was having was, where's all the money coming from? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the conversation was because so many people in Ireland do not have that money. But yet so many people seem to have that money. And you're kind of wondering, is this, is, is this emblematic of, of, of more of a two-tiered society in Ireland now? That there are people... 
hidden amounts of money. But I think there's lots of people and that people may... with no money. But I, but I, I think there's lots and lots and lots of people who were over at the games in uh, in France that are not super wealthy. Lots and lots of people who were over there who were just ordinary fans like you and I might be. I do think it's a fact. I do think there's a correlation between the success of some of our teams at sporting level and what's happening within our economy. Uh, do we have people that continue to be very vulnerable that we need to do more for? We do. Uh, but does Ireland do that better than lots of other countries? I think we do too. Like, if you look at, uh, you know, where we are with hunger in Ireland, I mean, thank God the number of families, I would hope, and the number of people who are go without food within our country uh, 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 is lower than it was a number of decades ago. And I think we are better at redistribution and we are better at using our laws to stand by the vulnerable than lots of other countries are. Mm. Just what you said there a minute ago about um, you would very definitely not be of a neoliberal. I'm not a neoliberal. I'm not a conservative. Does that mean to say that there's quite a strong streak of social democrat in you. Uh, there, uh, I, I, I couldn't describe myself as a social democrat either. In truth, I'm not a politician of. I'm not a left wing politician um, uh, because I've I've always struggled with visions of socialism that also recognise the value of entrepreneurship that see the economy as something that you shouldn't that isn't that's something more than a mass to be extracted from Mm. are levied on. Uh, So for that reason, I couldn't describe myself Mm. as being a social democrat. Uh, But where I'm very different to being a conservative or neoliberal is I believe in having a a governments that are well funded, that are strong. I believe markets fail. And even when markets don't fail, I believe we still need governments because markets can underperform. Do you think we could borrow a little bit more from some, from maybe the Scandinavian countries? It's interesting, though. Um, if you look at the public discourse within the Scandinavian countries, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, I mean this entirely factually. If you look at the debates that are taking place in the Scandinavian countries about the quality of their public services, about their challenges about law and order, about their challenges about uh, migration... Actually, the reality of the challenges the Scandinavian model has at the moment isn't too far away from where we are. And um, if you would look at what we have done um, in in recent years and how much more money we are spending at the moment and doing the things we have to do and we weren't able to do for a number of years and building more homes and building more skills, that speaks to the need to have governments that are strong and growing and well-funded. Okay. Did you ever see Father Ted? Only bits of us. Oh, right. so you wouldn't be that familiar. Not that familiar. Yeah. There used to be two islands. One was, um, wasn't it Craggy Island? And the other was, was, was Rocky Rocky Island <coughs> or The Rock or something. So there was a kind of an ulterior universe, mm-hmm. which was reflective of Craggy Island. So that there was another kind of fella who was a bit like Father Ted. He was the fella that used to go like that. Um, the other, this father. And he used to have a Dougal with him as well. Okay. And, um, but kind of a, his sidekick. God, I just haven't, but yeah. I haven't invested enough time into this. Yeah. I have to but look at I always it. sort of pictured you as Dougal, right, in relation to this. <laughs> Leo is Father Ted, right? But then... Leo, the Taoiseach is Father Ted. 
Oh my God, right? a more unlikely Father Ted. Oh no, in my world, right? And Father Ted, you're, you're Dougal. And then on the other island is Sinn Féin, right? And that's Mary Lou is the Father Ted there. And Pierce Doherty is the Dougal, mm-hmm. right? Because Pierce Doherty is like a kind of a, sort of a, not a mirror image of you, but he's like the dark side or the yin and yang of you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, both of you are competent. Mm-hmm. Both of you are um, effective. Mm-hmm. Both of you are um, believable. Mm-hmm. What do you think of him? I've done the job and he hasn't though. That's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Competence. The competence between an opposition and competence of actually having responsibility are very, 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 very different. So you don't think he could competence. do the job if he was... I didn't say that. I just said there's a different measure of competence. Uh, it's one thing talking about it. It's another thing doing it. Mm. Uh, it's an entirely different thing walking into a room representing your country. It's an entirely different thing actually having to make real decisions that affect people's lives. On a personal level, right, you have to share the same building when you're in the doll with these guys. Do you do you get on well with um, the, the shinners on a personal level? Or l- little to do with them? They don't really make any effort to kind of socialise or engage on a personal level. And uh, Are you saying I they're a little frosty? Back. I wouldn't say frosty. Yeah. Um, I keep themselves to themselves. I I don't have a personal relationship with any of them. But you strike me as a very collegiate person. Uh, I am, but I'm collegiate with those who want to be collegiate. Um, I'm not going to be uh, 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 collegiate uh, um, if, um, if there's not an appetite there for us. And uh, I, uh, the tone of of kind of Leinster House, you know, really reflects the fact at the moment that you've one group of people. Uh, who, you know, would say that my issue is not my competence. My issue is that I don't care. And that's the charge that is made about me. And, uh, you know, in the Doyle, in social media, um, and uh, and by Sinn Féin. And like, I just fundamentally and utterly reject that. Uh, I think we get into a dangerous territory for our politics if we begin to suggest that the only difference between politicians is the level of compassion they have. And I think it becomes even more dangerous if we begin to say with absolute certainty these are the simple things that we can do that can deliver really big change. And, um, you know, I will certainly be making that case really, really strongly as I've done in other elections whenever the next election is. Okay, Pascal, listen, um, I want to thank you very much for taking... We might go, what a ground we've covered off here. Yeah. John Lennon, George Harrison and my own t- my, Tyrone Mings. Ta- Is there any other broadcast like and, this, And Mario? your role in Gift Grub for the last <laughs> 10 years now. Uh, and thanks for being so um, uh, up for the sport and up for the fun. It's been great talking to you and... Um, I, I've really enjoyed it. I re- really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for coming in and taking the time. I know you're busy. Well, thank you so much. Been for great being on and great to talk about uh, books, Fantasy Football League and all those other things and the value of kindness and empathy, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast, which has been interesting. Thank you very so thank much. Thank you much. very much. Thank you. And my thanks to Pascal Donahue for coming in. A long term gift grub character now laid bare in real life. Uh, meeting his alter ego and all that kind of stuff. If you would tell one person about this um, podcast, I would love it if you could. Subscribe if you can as well, um, so that we can give you the notification um, when we're on every week. If you subscribe, it'll be notified to you. 
Um, we don't charge for this podcast. It's free to you, as are all of the back episodes. Enjoy them, dig in, and all I ask is that you tell one other person. If you want to contact me directly, it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Thanks for your listening. Bye.